And we are live with our 111th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, Ken and I are flying duo again today. Um, we're going to be talking about a few things that came out of the news, but just off the top of my head, if you're interested in our secure code review course, we have uh, Black Hat Europe coming up where we will be teaching it um, as a portion of their training courses. Um, we'll post that link along with the show slides or watch our um, Twitter space. Uh, that's where it will be, you know, we'll be marketing it. Um, but we'd love for people to jump in and take advantage of that. Uh, otherwise, the the conference known as Midwinter or Fortnite or whatever conference, right? Like, um, yeah, is, is coming, right? It's going to be December 8th and 9th, I believe it was. It's that week, right? Or maybe it's the following. Dang it. I'm, I'm wrong on my dates. I don't have them pulled up in front of me. But um, it's one of the it's the first couple of weeks in December, uh, very similar to Midsummer Nights Con. Uh, Logic Hill and a bunch of others here will be helping us out with it. Uh, so we've already got a bunch of speakers lined up. I'm excited to actually see what's going on. We are going to try a couple day format, um, but it will be after hours again, right? So it's going to be, um, you know, start at what four Eastern or something like that, and go to ten Eastern. Um, so it, it, it'll be a fun it'll be a fun time. Um, there's more involved than we're with midwinter tonight or midsummer's night. Anyway, um, outside of that, Ken, is there anything else that I'm missing from a general perspective? No, but I made my end of year resolution, which is to get this swag sent out to people for fine for for real. Finally, <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is. If you're listening and you hadn't gotten swag and I owed it to you, you'll be seeing an email from me in the next few, well, actually next 48 hours where I'm reaching out to people to make sure that their address and sizes all still make sense. And then this uh, weekend, I'm going to actually go mail stuff out. So this is actually happening. Um, yeah. So we need to get uh, need to get rid of this swag anyways. I got like two boxes of it. So, <laughs> yep. But, uh, it's just been sitting there waiting. Yes. This is especially for Leaf, who has been like, hey, man, I you need didn't wear your T-shirts. Yeah, exactly. So rightfully so. I owe the T-shirts. So Yeah, we, we owe the yeah those guys over at Segment. Speaking of which, Segment has been purchased by, or yeah, Twilio, right? Uh, so congrats to those guys on that acquisition. Should be interesting to watch. Um in general, from a security perspective, right? Like the the integration of those two companies. So, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a good one, right? Yeah, I hope they get like, uh, I hope they they uh, get that paper, so to speak, <laughs> you know, and all that that fun stuff. Oh, do you have a shock absorber now? Oh, I Look do. Yeah. yeah, I finally upgraded. Yeah. Wow! Like. Yeah, I can see a pop filter. Oh, shoot. Mic. Here, I'll just. Yeah, yeah there. It, it's. No, I want to see. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. You set it all up. That's yeah, great. I finally set it all up. Well, figured, I, I figured it was about time. You know, we're 110, 111 episodes in. Yeah. Well, I stole yeah. this from you. <laughs> yeah, this whole true. idea for the chair. The secret so, lab. Yeah. 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 We should, we should, yeah. They, they should be sponsors or something, or if we had sponsors, because we don't have any. Right? <laughs> yeah. People have tried. Yeah. Uh, we're too lazy. No, I'm just joking. It's, it's an integrity thing. Yeah. Anyways. Um, it's yeah. more because we like to talk about what we like to talk about, right? Um, we don't necessarily want to be too concerned about who it is that, yeah. I, I mean, it's basically sponsored by Seth and Ken. That's that's realistically what AppSix <laughs> is about. Um, so along those lines, right? My first, okay, the first thing I wanted to talk about today um, I've got a bug bounty program that I'm helping manage for a smaller uh, company, right? Sure. Uh, they found a vulnerability uh, with one of the sites that actually was hosted by someone else. And it turns out it's a, you know, a flaw in this hosting sites caching uh, system um, that results in a denial of service against our, against this um, 
yeah, against this company's kind of marketing site, right? So it's not a is super it, high risk vulnerability. Right? Is the caching service, sorry, I missed did the caching service. Did you say it was owned or is not owned by the same people that have the bug bounty program? It's, it's not owned, right? Oh, so, nice. so it affects our marketing site. It affects their marketing site, but it's actually run by the hosting company, right? Um, and so like the first thing I do to the researcher is like, we, we look into it. I'm like, hey, guess what? For us, this is low risk, right? It's a marketing site. The, the most you can do is get an air page that's up there, right? You can't actually control what it is. So you should probably talk to this hosting site and, you know, figure out, you know, because they are also on the platform, the same platform as the, you know, as the targeted client is. Yeah. Um, and so I send him that way. And then, you know, a couple of days later, he responds and he's like, hey, you know, thanks for pushing me that way. You have a PayPal address uh, that I could like give you like, I, I mean, basically the, the <laughs> he asked for my PayPal address because I've been nice to him and I referred him to this other program to go and, you know, cause it was, a, it was a problem with their infrastructure, not with the, the, the client's infrastructure. And he's asking if he, you know, if I, he can have my PayPal to give me like something from that payout. And I was like, Whoa, dude. Right. Like this is not like, I, well, I appreciate you being nice to me and all right. Like I don't, it's almost feels like a kickback style. Like, I, I don't know yeah. if you've ever had anything like that from researchers. Right. I, I know you guys are fairly large. But it would be like me, I, you know, I'm helping one client out, right, on, yeah, on their site. They're hosted at GitHub or whatever. They use GitHub pages, and they find something that affects GitHub pages, and then they're kicking me back money because I referred them to go to you guys, right? Like, it, it feels really weird and shady. I, I don't know if you've ever dealt with anything like that. Oh yeah. I mean, we've had, I've had people ask, um, all kinds of, uh, interesting questions. Uh, some of them payment related. Um, but pretty much as it pertains to, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm not, no one's taking a cut of your bounty trying to, trying to show you that this is not necessarily something you should go after. Like, yeah, you can't really like get paid out and we're not going to triage necessarily in our program, but you referred them to the actual provider. In that case, you know, it's it's like one of those things where you want to make sure you know, safe harbor, like that 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 the the infrastructure, the caching infrastructure they were going after, the content hosting, like that that actually has its own bug bounty program. Um yeah. if not, it's you know, you want to make sure that they're legally protected, the researcher. Um, and then of course, anything payment related, anytime anything comes up, cause this payment related stuff comes up all the time. Like I've literally had people say, like submit a bug bounty, get paid out. And then afterwards be like, Oh, it actually, it was my friend that told me about this. So they should get paid. And then like, can you transfer that money? And I'm like, uh, all payment related, basically a blanket statement of all payment related questions go to hacker one. So yeah. Or whoever your bug bounty provider is, but like beyond safe, Harbor, maybe looking into whether or not that program has a bug bounty, maybe even going as far if you want to know, see if you know anybody on that team. Um, maybe, probably not, probably just stick to like the safe Harbor bit and any payment related stuff goes off to the bug bounty. But it's super weird that somebody was trying to give you money. That is definitely a no, no and strange. Yeah. Yeah. It felt really odd. And I, I mean, number one, right? Like he, from the researcher's perspective, I'm just representing the, this company, this client. Right. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I don't know what he's expecting to get back out of it, but number two, mm -hmm. right. Like from, for my, from my perspective, I'm like, dude, this is almost like an integrity thing, right? Like I'm not going to take money for you from you while I'm also helping the company. Right. Like, cause I bill them for my time. Right. It's yeah. just weird. I'm like, uh, yeah. Thanks, but no thanks, right? Like, I don't know what you're trying to get out of this, and it feels super kind of, yeah, uh, yeah, sketch. or whatever. Sketch, sketch. Yes. It is sketchy. It is like, it's totally sketchy. And yeah. But I mean, they probably have, okay, they probably have the be best of intentions. It's just, it's just that that's not, yeah, that's not yeah. okay or something that anybody would be all right with. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe if they were like, you know, it was a friend that they were working with, right. Like, but there, there's no like personal relationship there outside of through these bug bounty programs. And so I'm like, no man, I like, I don't, well, number one, I just don't need that. Right. Like, 
it's just weird. So I've anyway. referred plenty of people to other programs because it was stuff that didn't affect us. But yeah, it's pretty much like, hey, first let me see if that company has a bug bounty program. And then if not, we'll talk to our, our we have legal counsel that we can talk to and bounce off them to be like, are we protect is the researcher not we is is the research researcher protected here, which we do just because like, yeah. I want everyone to do well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the whole point of this thing is like everybody just wins. That's that's the hope, anyways. Yeah, you know. Well, and that and, and that was part of it, right? Like the reason I referred him over to the infrastructure is uh, it is basically I'm like, look, this this has to be fixed, but the client can't fix it. I know these guys can't. Right? They're yeah. the only ones that can fix it because we just don't have that access into their caching infrastructure. Anyway, it was it, it was interesting, and I like we still paid out like the low bug or whatever that he found because it was an issue and it caused some like discussion you know that kind of stuff is fairly typical but anyway um all right so that, that was the bug bounty one i i just you know, thought it was weird but apparently you know, i've had I'm not way weirder one. man i've had okay. way weirder i've had way i've had people try to sell get us to pay i think it was like twenty five thousand dollars for a pdf before we even got to open it up to see what the issue was so they're like, yeah, just give us like $25,000 for this bug because we know it's great. And then when you open it, you'll know what the bug is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great, it's, man. It's, isn't that extortion? <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, I'm sure. And I'm sure it was like, if you paste a session cookie from one browser <laughs> no, into sir, another, another, you can access the website. Yeah. <laughs> Voila, $25,000. Yeah. It probably was ridiculous. Either way, like it's not going to get you anywhere. We're not going to open yeah. that crap. Just submit it and get paid. It's worth well, it. Okay. So, so speaking of which, uh, I'm going to post this one in here. Um, this came up this last week, uh, but uh, you know, five or six researchers, spent what four or five months hacking on apple infrastructure right um and this this was an interesting article uh just to kind of see the process that they took uh the the flaws that they found and it, we're not talking about ios hacking or anything along those lines right this was mm. all what does apple's infrastructure look like and you know what could possibly go wrong I mean, so similar to most of the uh, most of the bug bounty programs that are out there, right? And right. I, I know from you know in the in the programs that I've been involved with that have e like even like a mobile aspect versus a web or online aspect, the the web and online portions of the bug bounty programs are way more active than anything that's mobile related, right? <laughs> and I, I think that's just an attack surface. Uh, issue right i uh, like the fact that the it, it's much more accessible there's a lot more research there's a lot more availability to go after some of those uh, web properties um, especially from an it perspective right like so if you look through some of these uh, vulnerabilities that they found you know some of them are just related to oh they didn't patch you know whatever cve there's a jive application right like i mean there's a bunch of interesting research that goes on here um but it isn't necessarily a hey apple developed this one application that's being hacked it's usually some sort of a third party right you reading through it now yeah so yeah because they found 55 vulnerabilities 11 with criticals 29 highs 30 i am curious if those are if that is well yeah that's that's got to be what apple assigned to them right because like only reason i say that is if, if it's based off the researcher's opinion of the criticality that i'm like eh, you know but if it's if it's apple accepted as you know 11 critical and 29 high that's pretty awesome 13 medium and too low yeah um yeah, yeah so and then I don't. I was a little confused on this because they were saying that they previously understood that Apple's bug bounty program was rewarding for physical products and not necessarily for web asset, asset assets. But it sounds like you're saying that, and they are saying that they did actually pop some web assets and get paid out for it, which is pretty cool. No, yeah, these are all web assets, right? So it's App Store Connect, it's um, employee management tools, right? So they went through and just enumerated 
I, I mean, Apple owns a class A, right? Uh, as far as IP address space goes. So they went through that whole thing and then targeted specific systems on that class A. Um, IDOR vulnerabilities, like the RCEs that they find. Um, yeah, Phantom JS, right? Like there, there's all sorts of interesting stuff that's in here that we could, you know, we could break down each of these, you know, separately. But the highest ones, that 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 was again what was interesting to me. And we always harp on third party stuff, like third party libraries, third party like services. Uh, that those are a huge vector of risk and threat. Uh, but if you look through this this list of criticals, like I think the first ten are related to other products that aren't developed by Apple, right? So even so that Apple distinguished educators program, that full compromise, that's a that's jive. That's not an Apple product or the the Delmia Apriso application. Um, I mean cross-site scripting maybe is, but some of the authors e-publisher stuff, maybe that is, right? Like so it's they've just got RC, they've got yeah. command injection, they've got like XSS, 2FA bypasses, IDORs, XXE, which actually Patrick Toomey had a good point. At, uh, well, if you don't know Patrick Toomey, he works, he's the head of product security at GitHub. He, he had such a good point on like XXE. When, when do you ever see anybody actually need the functionality of like expanding that entity? Like when do you actually ever see that necessary? So like what's the point of allowing XXE in to your, you know, as a vulnerability, as as something that can be exploited, you know what I mean. Like, what's yep. the point of that? So, uh, SSRF. Yeah. That's yeah. That's yep. like a the hotness. <laughs> the thing I've noticed is I don't think App, Apple actually seems to have a bounty program on any platform. It looks like that might be their own thing it, that they run. It is. It's their own. Uh, which makes which which makes it hard. And maybe it says in this article somewhere, but I'm, it makes it hard because I wanted to go look at the actual like bug crowd or hacker one uh, report to see if the criticality these researchers are mentioning is actually what was you know accepted as the criticality. But I mean, it does make sense, right? Like for a RCE to be critical, right? I mean that that does make sense. You know, command yeah. injection via unsanitized file name argument. That seems like critical. You know, any RC is always critical, really. So it does make sense, the the um, assignments they gave this. Yeah. Super and, uh, you know, yeah, so this is the developer one, right? And this is what they're saying. So some of it is product security, right? Um, Warmable stored cross-site scripting. Sounds like a MySpace style XSS attack. Yep. Yeah. So there's some really interesting stuff that's in there. Like if you haven't before uh, read, if you haven't read through bug bounty reports or bug bounty stuff, uh, you know, from a red team or like from a blue team perspective, if you're working on products, these are really interesting to go and see how Apple's affected because you know, I, I know stuff that I've written in the past is affected by a lot of these vulnerabilities um, and how, how even like those disciplined engineering organizations can can make the same mistakes, right? It, just because you've got a lot of sharp developers doesn't mean that you're not going to have vulnerabilities associated with your products. I mean, you, you know, GitHub's the same way. Like you can go look at some of those public ones, but. So because you say that just yesterday, I was having this conversation. We have a new super senior uh, engineer, software engineer, uh, at GitHub and she wanted to talk to each of the departments and get to know the departments and like what they do. So she was asking me and her met for like, what, what does AppSec do? And, uh, it was funny cause I was kind of passing off some of the security documentation we've written. And I was trying yeah. to explain that, like, even as security people, I have to go through and I showed her, I gave her links to the documentation and then the various checklists we use that even if you're like good at security, right. You know, you understand security. When you have a ton of code with a ton of different actor types and ways that they can be authenticated and a bunch of different authorization rules that you have to follow, that matrix, that authorization matrix gets really hairy really quickly. It gets, there's so many edge cases and there's like weird little dark corners that you have to know about. And if you like, we have documentation around it for that and like 
tooling to flag on it as best as we can when that gets you know submitted in a PR or something. But man, I guess what I was trying to the I was just trying to explain like it doesn't matter even if you like are good at security, you you have to also then understand the actual environment that you're developing in, not just understand it, but actually have like somebody like a security centric person who is laying out all the places where it's easy to make a mistake, not because you're bad at programming or anything, but because the app is just old and been contributed by so many people and is doing so many things, you know, you're just trying to make sure that they don't accidentally do something. So it's very easy to do. Um, yeah. I've learned that. That's I guess that's what I've learned. In my, my app sec blue team career. career. That the more code you write, the, 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 and the more people contribute and the more time that goes on, the easier it is to have those little weird edge cases pop up. Yeah. Well, and that's what always catches us, right? That's what, that's what we exploit on the, the red team side, right? Or the, you know, the dynamic side coming in as a consultant, that's what I'm looking for is those edge cases. Um, because that, that's usually where, I mean, that's where the problems exist. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And some, sometimes it's because of interactions. It's because of third party libraries or whatever else, but sometimes it's just because it's a really hard problem to solve. So, yeah. But, um, I'm just saying this report is so lengthy that it's just awesome. Like I have to actually go back and read this entire thing. Cause it's super cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And there's so much in it, right? Like, uh, yeah. The second that you start going down some of those, the vulnerability paths on, okay, look at, look what they did at, with Jive. Look what they did with that administrator tool, right? Like it's, it's pretty interesting. Oh yeah. There's SQL injection. Yep. So. Well, I'll be going on the Twitters to follow them. And then of course not going on Twitter because I don't go on Twitter very often. So <laughs> there you go. I'll follow them, but not actually read anything. Perfect. Sweet. Bingo. <laughs> so pretty. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um, the, the next one that I wanted, the next article that I wanted to talk about today, um, was related to inner or smart TVs. Oh, um, yes. Yes. So, so, so tell me, Ken, you have a smart TV, right? Yes, I do have a, I have several, unfortunately, uh-huh. those evil smart TVs, TVs. That keep your credentials cached and yes. All kinds of fun stuff. Actually, I have this really annoying issue with one I've been trying to fix that, by the way, like it's not even related to this, but every time I try to use YouTube, it pops up a stupid security certificate, SSL warning every freaking time I turn on the TV and try to go to YouTube. And I have been trying for like months to fix this and I can't, and I'm just ready to check this thing out the window. So anyways, yeah, it's just a pain in the butt. So it sounds like, well, okay, according to this article, right? Well, I think their certificate's out of date. So that's like, I think that it, that's why it's always like popping up security warnings. <laughs> Anyways. Is YouTube certificates out of date? It, no, well, it's I mean, uh, like, like the, oh, the I think, yeah, I think there's some actual, there might be like some, I don't know if there's, I doubt it's certificate pinning and going off to a central server. It's probably more of just like, the client is somehow outdated and doesn't know what CAs to trust would be my yeah, guess. The like trust list store is probably C- out of date. Yeah. Yeah. So it's trust. Oh, and for those that are listening and aren't familiar, like your certificate, I mean, I think a lot of people listening probably know this, but in case you're new to this certificate authorities are what issue certificates and say like, it's okay for, you know, apple.com to like issue TLS certificates um, and give some parameters around that. So uh, your browsers have a list of trusted CAs and so do your, Android, Android and iOS devices and your smart TVs and your smart TV. If it doesn't, if you're, if you're being presented with a trusted, with a cert issued by what should be a trusted CA, but your list of trusted CAs is out of date and it's not in there, then it's going to like cough up an error and say like, here's your security warning. The certificate's not issued by someone we trust. And that's what I think is actually happening with the TV. But yeah, anyways. Yep. That, that makes sense. Well, and I, I mean, according to this article too, so it depends on what type of TV you have. These guys were looking at, um, like they, they said it's a Hindatech HK1 TV box, right? Like, um, so there's a whole bunch of, you know, things that they found with this box or with this TV, right? Right. Um, 
that, but so the issue that we've got with most of those operating systems and most of those TVs is that they're white labeled, right? So you could be buying a TV that you think is, I mean, I'll, I'll just say like Samsung, but I'm pretty sure Samsung has its own operating system that runs on there, but you could be buying from someone like Samsung or some of those less expensive TV vendors and they could be shoving, they could just be white listing or white labeling this operating system straight onto that TV. And there's not a lot of ways to figure that out without hooking up to it directly. But the other problem here is that it's, you know, you're connecting this directly to your internal network, right? Um, mm -hmm. They pop up ads, they do all sorts of other stuff. They're communicating with the internet and there's very little oversight as to what those TVs do once they are connected. Um, so yeah. this is a, so the H, HK1 TV box is that it looks like from the images, it's almost like a Roku or uh, like an Apple TV, but it runs, it runs Android on it and it has an ADB shell. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it's like, <laughs> cool. So local, local attacker can execute uh, su, uh, SU, uh, what is that? Super user or whatever. Yep. Uh, and then run code is root, steal social networking account tokens, Wi-Fi passwords, cookies, save passwords. So they're like the save passwords and Wi-Fi passwords like in plain text or? Yep. They are, <laughs> just a, oh my God, yeah, it says, yeah. It's just it an XML file, right? Yeah. Yeah, here, I'll post in the quote and then, there you go. For example, once root, the network Wi-Fi password can be read in plain text at your Wi-Fi config store.xml. Well, and this is like, this is the same. This is like Android 101, right? You know, like if right. we're looking at an application, we're looking for plain text storage of secrets, right? Or iOS for that matter, right? Anytime you've got an app that's running in the context of that device or even within the context of a browser, we're going to be looking for how secrets are stored, how stuff is actually being protected, if it's being protected. But the fact that they have the debug interface and the developer interface enabled means that anyone that hooks up a, a USB device to this or a USB cable from their computer to this device can dump this information, right? There, there's, there was no uh, protection on there, right? So physical access to it means they can pull this all back. And I, I mean, you think about the TVs and where we have access to them, right? Um, I especially think about app, uh, like Airbnbs, the smart TVs that are in Airbnbs. Like how many times have you gone into one and you found someone else's Netflix logged into, and it's not like the host's Netflix account. It's just like some visitor's random Netflix account that they logged in and then they left, right? I and know. so everybody since then has been using their account within the context of this Airbnb to actually watch whatever they wanted. And, and I think we're gonna see this more and more from a you know from a threat perspective is that like we use these devices we trust that uh, like the device has our like is is watching our back and maybe yes the communication from the TV to Netflix is secure right during the login process but they're not storing it securely they're not doing any of the proper like data management techniques and yeah and then we give those TVs away to somebody else or we whatever happens to them in the, in the, in the long run, we may be able mm. to pull that data back off. So I, I just thought it was an interesting, yeah. No, it definitely is interesting. Cause I, I, yeah. Like I wonder how actually do, have you seen some of these smart TVs with cameras yet? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't, I haven't like, tried to play with them at all but i'm sure there's other stuff there right which yeah. ones are you looking at what the heck many smart tvs have built-in cameras that use facial recognition to make programming suggestions based on who's watching or for live two-way conversations on a large screen for those of us who are actually lazy to pick up the remote oh yeah so this is the whole thing uh yeah it's a whole thing smart tvs from Oh, yeah, from December of 2019. Smart TVs may be watching and listening in your home, FBI warns. But like, yeah, I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole. Anyways, uh, yeah, I just, that's the one that has been like on my mind is like, what happens when they've got a camera and mic? That's what bothers me the most. Um, yeah. I will well, be that, finding yeah. a way to physically disconnect that if that happens. I don't want somebody 
being, I don't want my devices to, to have, be in my home like that, but you know, it is convenient. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, yeah, I mean, it goes back, right? Cause like, that's what we, that's what we have in our pocket right now, mm -hmm. you know, but at least there is that physical ability to, you know, turn it off, put it in someplace where it couldn't listen. You know, they, they've got the switches and other things on there. Man, I had a like existential crisis installing this Google mesh network. Like I have great Wi-Fi everywhere, but like they all come. So all the access points I have probably one, two, three, four, four access points in one router. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, the, the thing about that is that means that everywhere in my house, there's a device that can listen. Actually, there's one, two, three. Yeah, yes, there's four. Anyway, so uh, that's right because the new Google Pucks they, are they have microphones and they, they have, have they, so they're, they're like on a, them. Yeah, that's yeah, right. and they and they were like, oh, if you want to have this cool feature and this cool feature, and I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. Like, really, that's cool. That's like so personalized and blah blah. blah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, you can have all that. Here's what you have to do. <laughs> and I read like the uh, the like privacy you give up and i was just like this is so gross like yeah it's convenient but man like i've watched too many episodes of black mirror at this point to, <laughs> to, to go down that route so it was like uh i mean seriously i, I didn't enable any of it because and i ended up physically because they have a, a toggle for the microphone but yeah it was like man it's they really are they're really awesome they provide great mesh network capability throughout and they've got all these convenient features but it's like you have you have to give up a little bit more than I'm willing to give up yeah, for that convenience. So I don't know, man, it's like as a tech person, it's so much easier and I don't want to like, okay, so yes, I could go the full. Okay. So I don't know if anybody else, you, anybody else listening goes through this, but I have this constant struggle of my time and then how much I want to geek out on stuff. So like, for instance, with this mesh network, yes, I could have done a very custom, like I've been doing networking forever. I could do a very nerdy, very cool customized setup. And yes, I could have a lot of control over that. Great. Wonderful. But do I really want to do that? Like, no, not really. I like, I spend enough time on a computer. I want something easy that just works, you know? And that's where you get into like the, this weird place where you're like, yeah, well, if you want it to just work and you want to be able to just call somebody like if the thing stops working correctly and just hand it back over and get a new one, then you have to give up a little bit. And it's just like this constant struggle I go with, I come across, which is like, what things do I want to make custom and what things do I just not want to jerk around with and like mess around with and just like, you know, have it just work. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I'm with you. Right. Like, uh, so I've got, I mean, you know, we're doxing our network setups here, but that's cool. Um, yeah. Like I've got, I, I've got the, uh, an amplify system, right. Which is from ubiquity, but it's like their prosumer, right. Like mesh network model. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple issues with it. Every, every once in a while, I'm always like, ah, maybe I should just go get like the unify system. And then I have to start thinking about the amount of time it's going to take for me to set that up from a controller perspective and then tuning each of those as I set them up and put them out. And eventually it always comes back to, eh, I'll just buy another, you know, one of the little like, you know, uh, antennas to go somewhere, the repeaters to extend the mesh network a little bit further because it, you know, it, it doesn't matter that much. And it's just like the, it's more so the family has access to it because, yeah. you know, my hardwired network and everything else, like for the, the business stuff and the consulting stuff that I do, um, and the the podcast, right? Like, it's all got to be pretty, uh, yeah, extensive. But anyway, so so I'm with you on be, that, right? Yeah, it's it's just it's got to be like a, a trade off of your time and like where do you want to put it? And yeah, you've so, got hobbies. I've got hobby, and, and like I say that, but yeah, we each get a little bit of time for our hobbies. But we've got families and we have responsibilities, and it means that your time is non-computer time and non-devoted to other people time is limited. And it's like, do I want to spend more time setting up this super cool network or do I just want to get it working and make it like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, a lot, I, that's so I went through balancing. this. Yeah. It's a balancing act. And I mean, we all do it right. Like even from a development perspective, right. Do we use a, do we use a framework? 
right? Do you use something yeah. like Rails that's super opinionated because it takes away some of that worry about, hey, how do I talk HTTP, right? Like, are, right. We, are we all writing our, are we all building our own syllabus, right? We're not, you know, people get plug and play, they make it easy to use. We give up a little bit of control but so we can focus on other things. Uh, I went through this early in my career, right? As I was, you know, at I, I Omega of all places, like years and years ago, um, where, like, I set up, you know, hey, these were early days, but, you know, set up my own mail server. I was doing all my own email and, like, even hosting for, like, my wife and for family and things like that. And then all of a sudden, I was, I realized that I was spending, like, a couple hours each day just playing, like, help desk support and, you know, admin to make sure that everyone could get their email because whenever an update came out or I had to do an upgrade on the server, I had to notify people. I was like, what am I doing? Right? Like there's Gmail available. There's these other things and I can just point it there. And yes, I give up that control. Um, but it frees me up for other things. Right. So, man, I got a story for you on that note. One time Rob Fuller was over at my house, you know, Mubix server. he was over yeah. and, uh, I had about, fucking had it with this laptop that my wife has um, or her had. And by the end of the, 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 this was all, this is when I switched our entire house to Apple because I could not take it anymore at all. I could not take these piece of crap like Dell or HP laptops that just went for like a year. And then they were just loaded with crap. Like, you know, every time she visited a website, it's like, boom, you got some more malware or whatever. You know, it's just, it just wouldn't work, wouldn't print, wouldn't do anything. And this is, this is, I was playing help desk support for a year for like, since I met my wife, I've been playing as her IT help desk because of she kept getting these HP and so by the time I was done, I actually had a stack of these thick laptops. I took a picture of it, like this shit's going in the trash. And so fast forward, I bought her an Apple. So I, I, we, we, we went and got her picked out and like an Apple air MacBook air or whatever. We just replaced that. And that was a 10 year old MacBook air. Yep. And I did zero support on it ever. I did zero support. I never had to support that laptop, never had any issues, but every fucking time she bought an HP or Dell after like a year, it was shot. I like, I, anyway, so he was at my house one day and this is like the fourth laptop that we're going through. And I was just, Dude, I threw, I just like slammed, I picked it up and just slammed it on the ground. And he's like, dude, calm down, you know? And I was like, I'm just so sick of this shit. Like, I'm so sick of fixing this and spending every weekend and all my weekends, like on, on this. So anyways, that's like my, uh, how back in 2010, the family switched to all Apple all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that knowing full wear, full, full well, I'm wearing a shirt that by a company owned by Microsoft, but hey, it is what it is. You know? <laughs> Yep. Yep. Yeah. I did that with my, um, I mean, back in, back in my college days, right. Like, um, my, you know, parents kept calling, they were always kind of Apple people, Yeah. kept calling, having problems with printers and with other stuff. And eventually I was like, no, no. Like they would ask me first, well, what should we buy? Right. And eventually yeah. I was like, refurbished Apple, right? You wanted to save a little bit money. So you went refurb. But at that point I'd get like one call a year because the printer wasn't working and like they'd done an update and the driver didn't install, right? Or something like that, as opposed to every two weeks, hey, I can't log in or I can't get to this website or whatever it is, right? So, yep, I'm, yeah, I'm with like you there. Net ID 1,470 billion. Go ahead and Google this and find the most like generic, non-helpful. Oh, and then just go in and, you know, edit the red, do a reg edit, red, uh, registry edit, editor, uh, like change these settings, these config settings, and then see your entire fucking laptop never work again because you turned something from a one to a zero. Congratulations. So we fixed it. Just tosh in the trash and get an apple. So it was, yeah. Like, man, I was furious that weekend. It's just funny that Rob happened to be here when it happened. I'm just like, Pfft. he's like, whoa, calm down. <laughs> like, that's, that's where I'm at, man. I don't care about this laptop. It's done. It's done, so. So, so I, yeah, so that's going to happen yeah. with your TVs eventually. That's what you're saying, probably. Except for they're too heavy for that. So, <laughs> so are uh, they? But, um, well, know. no, one's four years old or five years old, and it's super heavy. It weighs like more than me. So, yeah, yeah. Um, now, yep. now the ones are light. But anyways, I don't know how we. 
How do we get off on these tangents? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, Here, here's okay. So here's another article then that I want to talk about. Um, and this one's from TLDRSec from Clint. Right, this was one of the items that came up from his uh, latest. Um, can we have detection as code, Anton, on security? Um, so you should look at this, right? Um, and it's it's something it sounds like he's been thinking about as a while, for a while, right? Like his snort rules years ago, you know, 1999 are talking about, oh, they detect things based on code signatures, right? So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, realistically, we have this, um, but real, but we should have threat detection and code as well as in software in the SDLC. Um, we sort of do this, like would be my argument because we have dynamic assessments. We have, uh, you know, static code analysis tools. Um, we have other ways of, of going about this. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's, that it is comprehensive. Right. And I think that's maybe what he's arguing here uh, that we don't really do this in a, in a disciplined manner, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have DevOps or we have DevSecOps nowadays um, where we're building security tooling into the DevOps pipeline, which is great. Um, but this goes back to, he's got a couple of points here, right? Like detect detection content versioning so we understand what's happening when the alerts are coming from, right? But we've also got proper QA detection proper QA for detection content um, and then code reuse and or content reuse and modularity of detection content. And this actually goes back to a topic that I spoke on a couple of years ago, right? Um, my whole uh, like QA, um, like detection uh, sputter talk, right? Like security unit testing. And the right. fact that the way we detect security vulnerabilities um, and the, the content detection that we're doing is flawed, right? Because we look for exploits, we don't look for issues. Um, and it, so I, so I, I kind of wanted your take on this because I, I definitely have my opinions about how we should be detecting these edge cases, right? Like, so we talked about bug bounty edge cases, but I'm talking, talking about code edge cases and flaw edge cases that may eventually lead to security vulnerabilities and are indicators, but aren't necessarily full exploits. Um, what I what I'm proposing and what I think is coming out of this uh, this idea of detection as code is that we start to look at the indicators rather than full exploits as security issues instead of security exploits, and then we fix the security issues as they pop in pop up. So for, as an example, right, we take cross-site scripting as an issue because that's that's what bug bounties pay out on. Sure. Um, most cross-site scripting issues are, I mean, a simple input validation and output encoding. And typically the flaws exist because that, that output encoding is broken in some way, right? There's some character that's not output encoded as it should be. And we can find indicators in testing all of our input and output as it's going in and out as to what is actually uh, output encoded to eliminate cross-site scripting, right? That's, we, we know that that's the way we go about it. Um, but a lot of times what we'll see is, hey, like the greater than and less than signs are output encoded and maybe a couple of other things, but maybe they forget a single quote, they forget to do a double quote. And that's what leads in the long run to a cross-site scripting exploit. Now we don't, as developers, we don't have to know that that exploit exists or how it can be exploited. All we have to know is that output encoding is not happening on certain characters to go and fix the issue, right? So yeah, like we can sure. build systems to do this. Um, I mean, like when you're talking to developers, sorry, Ken, I'm like going off on a rant and oh, you know, no, no, that's no. what I'm doing Actually, today. Thinking, just thinking. Um, like, so when you go and talk to developers about fixing issues or fixing vulnerabilities, right? Like, 
I know a lot of stuff comes out of the bug bounty program and the assessments that you guys do. Um, but how much of that is, hey, there's fully baked exploits versus, hey, this could be an issue in the future? Oh, yeah, that's actually a good question. Because there's a lot of, I would say it's, I don't know, a percentage, but it, there's definitely a lot of what we call, we talked about the last episode, what we call defense in depth. Mm-hmm. which is this could be a few, uh, an issue in the future. It's not one right now, but you should fix it because it can go south pretty easily, uh, which I would say, so we actually have a, I have a concrete example of that um, where we had an app that was uh, being rendered in, I think it's an electron based sort of app. So it does have web properties, right? In this like desktop app. And it wasn't necessarily the data that we were sending to it. It wasn't necessarily exploitable cross-site scripting, but on the back end, we knew that they were using unsafe operators that could lead to that. And it was so that it was that con it was that, that, uh, that thing of when you want like the client's going to consume it, but won't pro- like properly show. Sh- so it, it is HTML encoded, but when it's shown, to and render to the user, like those characters are still shown as encoded and not decoded. So it, it, the developers naturally decided, well, it's easy to use these unsafe operators because, you know, then it's formatted correctly by the time it hits the client um, mm-hmm. and doesn't like show the actual HTML, ampersand, whatever stuff. So long story short, uh, we did, we did actually ask them to fix that. We wrote it up as a defense in depth. Again, not exploitable now, but in the future it could be. So uh, that was purely because of the unsafe operators. So the fix there was to use safe operators and then for very specific characters, uh, which turned out to be like one or two, allow those in a um, kind of a sandbox way, right? But like... I like the idea of a single, so there's a few ways. There's one is just unsafe API use and operators like inside of templating languages as well. Uh, those are, that's one way. The other one, the other way is what you're talking about where you're not actually, you don't have a full cross-site scripting string. You've got like maybe double quote is properly escaped and not single quote, like you said. And in that case, um, yeah, I think what you're talking about, like what you've talked about with sputter and unit tests, uh, are super helpful. We actually also use um, for, so if you ever like pull apart the monolith, all this stuff doesn't matter because everybody can see the source code for for, for GitHub anyways. Um, there is there is a, a an authorization matrix uh, for unit tests so that you can write unit test and make sure that it follows all of the actor types in that authorization matrix. It's literally just like a wrapper for doing testing you know, you write a feature, test through all these authorization scenarios. Okay. But also the last part of it all that ties all of this together is that our checklist and our documentation cover very specific. So if you're writing in this app, check for these edge cases. If you're writing this other app, check for these edge cases. If it's by framework, because it's an entirely new app, then um, check for these things in these frame, like these known gotchas in these different frameworks, as well as templating languages and libraries. So those are the kind of the three ways to summarize that we handle is like unsafe APIs. I think what you're talking about is a, a, not something that we do as much of, but I love, I love the idea of like just looking to see if certain things aren't necessarily exploitable, but they're getting through your filters. And then the third way just being like documentation and also like part of your process methodology checklist. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I like the holistic approach, right? And that, that's where I, yeah, I mean, so, so I shouldn't bag too much on the dynamic detection, right? Like in finding exploits, because it is, I, I mean, it is what I do a lot of, right? Um, yeah, it's just that it, it, it frustrates both. me. What? Yeah, I think you have to do both, you know? That's my, yeah. that's my take. You have to do both. So, yeah. Only because what we're looking at in static might be fine until it hits like, I don't know, some secondary thing that only occurs in production. And then you're like, oh, God, like, for instance, let's say locally in development, it doesn't have a contact form that um, interacts with that's actually like iframe from another site. Right. Just as an example, I'm not saying that's actually something that we do, but I'm saying like you could do that. Right. 
So let's say you iframe that. Well, in development, you may not see this, but perhaps that site you're iframing has like cross-site scripting issues or has some some other issue. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, it's not going to be something you see in static analysis, but it will be something that would pop in a dynamic anal uh, dynamic test because you've actually got the running web website with this little weird sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's, 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 it's how we talk about complements between, you know, static and dynamic analysis. Uh, right. Like, and there's a reason why third party code and third party services are so often the, the weak link. And it is because of that kind of tunnel vision that we get around. This is the custom code that we wrote. So this is the only thing that we need to worry about. Right. And mm -hmm. so the more that we can expand out to, hey, we're doing a dynamic as well. We're doing this testing in a couple of different ways to look for the vulnerabilities, the better off that whole defense in depth approach becomes mm -hmm. because we aren't so dependent on one single utility. We're not just, you know, we're not dependent on a silver bullet that is going to catch all the things, right? Uh, each of these different components kind of has its, or these, you know, testing methodologies has its place within the SDLC. Um, mm -hmm. And I think if we ignore, if we ignore any one of them, we're probably going to get burned at some point. Right. I mean, it's the same thing if we're developing an app for functionality, right? We've got like our, our functional tests, like does this function do what we want it to do? We've got the, like the unit test of all of these functions together or are, are they all safe in their interactions? Then you've got your full integration tested hey, we're putting this into a production-like environment. Now it has data in there. Like, is there, uh, there, there's other risks that are associated with that. There's other tests that have to be run. Um, and and I, this always goes back to, like, we're just glorified QA testers that are focused on one single aspect of an application. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we really should have a touch point in each of those different tests that are being conducted, right? what is development doing from a test perspective, right? Development by itself is inherently a testing uh, cycle, right? Um, right. Like I develop something, I test whether or not it functionally works. I add some, I add a few more lines of code. I make sure that it still does what I am intending it to do, right? Mm. And if security is one of those requirements, then I'm building to that as well, right? And I mean, we always talk about full coverage in the SDLC, but how often do you actually see that? I mean, I know you guys at GitHub probably see it more than I do as a consultant. A lot of times I get brought in after the fact or I got, get brought in, you know. Well, what do you define yeah. as full coverage? Um, that, they, that they've actually thought, like, so it's not just dynamic and static analysis, right? Right. Um, if we look at the full SDLC, and this is really going to depend on what kind of model they're, they're using, whether it's waterfall, uh, whether it's agile development, uh, you know, where is security actually involved in that cycle is what it falls down to, right? If they're only involved in the release cycle and they're not involved in the development or the building phase, then there's going to be issues that pop up that will continually pop up because security wasn't involved enough early in the uh, in the discussion about the application or the feature, right? Right, yeah, so that's part of the whole, um, yeah, that's why so we I, have- like, Yeah, it's, it's hard to define process. full coverage, right? But yeah, go ahead. Well, well, no, 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 I think that it, I don't think it's that hard because I think what you're saying is like, um, there's a, uh, there's a, from the very outset before code gets written, period, where we do, that's where like we ask for, We've been really pushing for um, engineers to involve us at before code's written and at the time of design because it changes everything. Like, and actually, it's very easy to even explain. I literally don't. It took five seconds to explain this to a software engineer, and they totally got it. It was like, it was like I just said, like, yeah, you know, going back retroactively to change pretty significant decisions is of course harder. And they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like, of course, like it's always harder to go back and fix things after the fact. Whereas like one of the projects I'm working on, well, like the biggest project I'm working on, um, we had, we had, uh, some, 
security issues with it because it's still it's still being developed. It's not even like out in GA or anything like that public. Um, but what was cool was when we detected the security issues because of the way it was architected during the design phase before code was written, the way like security was involved and said like, here are all the things you can do to absolutely minimize risk. Even if it's like exploited, the impact is significantly lower than it would have been from the original design plans before security got involved. I can like a hundred percent say that with absolute certainty. And so like when this happened, it was amazing because impact should have been my or would have been much higher but it was like eh, not that big of a deal just because you know like we we architected it and i know this is like super abstract but just imagine like it's very easy to understand a system that like wants to operate with as much permissions as possible because being very specific in what permissions you uh, and things you can access is like really hard to problem to solve but we'd rather go and solve those really hard problems from the initial beginning, have all of those conversations. And by the time the product reaches GA, yeah, it was hard, but guess what? Like the, the risk is so minimized that again, even if there's like a glaring security flaw, good luck getting very far with it. Yeah. So yeah, like, yeah, I don't think that's too hard. I don't think that's too hard to conceptualize. Uh, no, but yeah, we no, I, noting that pretty heavily. It's Yeah. Which makes sense, right? And like it, it, like everything that we kind of talk, we talk about on the podcast falls into that full coverage model, right? Like we've talked about, we've talked with people that do developer training and security training. And that's right. That's kind of the upfront like awareness campaign for developers as far as what can go wrong. Um, right. If they aren't thinking about security, we talk about security architecture, and like the requirements that you're talking about, right? We send them over a list of, hey, we're concerned about authorization. So I'm going to ask you what you're doing about this. And if you don't solve this problem up front, like that's going to cause issues down the road. Right. And then we talk about the check-ins that happen during the development life cycle or the development process, the dynamic mm. testing, the, the functional testing, like all of these unit tests that I'm talking about, QA testing, and then the full integration test, dynamic testing at the end of things. And then like it, it's a full cycle and you're kind of involved in each stage of the development of a product. And if you're not, like when you skip one of those stages and, and security is at least not a touch point there, uh, that's where the issues pop, crop up. That's always where uh, the vulnerabilities get introduced into the code base, right? It's it's one thing to say that the very front, right? Hey, guess what? Like we, you have to do this for security's sake. Um, in the requirements, like you're architecting those authorization rules in there. But if the developers didn't get the training to understand why, most likely what they're going to implement is not something that's going to cover what you need it to cover. And then like eventually down the road, you may discover that they created a super user account that everybody can jump into, right? Something like that uh, because they needed a backdoor to do X, Y, and Z, right? That kind of thing happens all the time, right? Like it, and they, it can't be faulted if you're not doing, from a security perspective, if you're not having those touch points all across the board. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So apparently, like, we just, ran, I'm just ranty today, man. I, yeah. <laughs> so, well, we haven't chatted and everybody's remote and let's stuck at home. So it's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, yeah. Can we have detection as code? Yes, right. That's that's my answer to that from Anton. But um, it takes discipline, and I don't know. I'm I'm also a nihilist when it comes to that because I see so much crap in there. Mm. Um, yeah, I see so many applications that just get pushed out so quickly from a feature perspective that they, yeah, they ignore quite yeah. a bit of stuff. Yeah. You know, that brings up a good point of, so, cause like I, when I had been, uh, I had, you know, I wrote like that interview thing for tribe of hackers and my chapter in there, it says like, recognize that we're not that important. Right. And that's the, that's the real meaning security. That's the, that's the, honestly, the, the hardest thing I see people struggle with is to understand like your job is to put guardrails in place to minimize risk as much as possible. And then when you can't 
do that anymore because the business has priorities and they need to ship a feature and you know that's far more important than like slowing it down an extra two months just so that you can even further reduce risk yeah like they may not be cool with that you know and it's your job to sort of uh accurately not emotionally but accurately given all the factors lay out the factors what real risk they actually present not like well anybody off the internet can you know and then just be okay with if that decision if you presented that and the executive chain for instance decides yeah. like i'm gonna go with it anyways like like okay fine that's that, like that's that's just your job you just tell people like hey this is Ways to minimize it, effort involved, risk factors involved. What do I think it means? And then like, does that mean that you should hold up something that's gonna bring the company in and a bunch of money or, you know, or is it going to put your users at risk? And then that's like, like at significant risk. And then that's, you know, sort of where it gets a little tricky. Yep. But um, in those cases, I, I still believe you can put in enough guardrails um, to, to try and, yeah. Minimize, minimize that risk. Well, and, and part of that is a like, but also document know. somewhere publicly that you did that. Yes. So you, that don't, you don't agree. take the blame for that. Yeah. Right. Yes. Make sure everybody can see. It's very clear that Seth said, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. If you ship this thing without these things. And then if they ship those things without those things, and then like you're dealing with the bug bounty submission of like $25,000 and everyone's hairs on fire. Just be like, Remember, what did I say? Yeah, I remember three months ago. Yeah. I mean, that, that's pretty easy as a consultant because we have that deliverable at the end of each engagement that's like, look, here are the risks. Like, this is what you should go fix. This is what I recommend. Like, based on your application, what I know about it, this is how I rate it. Right. Like, this was super easy to do and exposed all your users' info. Hey, that's probably a bad thing you should go fix. But some of that, like those medium and low risk ones, when I have discussions with developers, I'm always like, uh, like, honestly, as a consultant, I don't like, I don't care that much whether or not you go and fix it. I'm going to be honest, right? Like, because it's not my risk. Right. I don't own it. Um, that's owned by you, your organization and somebody in there. And so uh, like, we don't, I, yeah. And we can talk about this on another podcast. I know we're about done for today, but um, the fact that a lot of my job, your job is not necessarily technical, it's political, right? It's being able to quantify risk for someone who doesn't understand the technical aspects of what we're dealing with, right? Uh, so, right? And, and we've always had this issue with cross-site scripting in general, right? Like is, you know, you see a report from a consultant organization and it's like, Boom, here's a pop-up that says one, right? And you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like you can't hand that to an executive, right? Like you can't. No. Because they're gonna be like, okay, it's my website, but there's a box in front of it. What's the point? And yeah, like so there's a lot of political discussions that go along with that. Yeah, so just full disclosure, that's part of why we uh because uh I know some people have gone through the Red, I know, I, I mean that literally like I, we, we, you and I know some of the people that have gone through some of these, you know, red team uh, interviews and like that is something that, cause I've heard from, you know, everyone, Hey, there's a lot of interviews. <laughs> yeah. And like half of them are, are you, can you be a mature person when conflict arises? Can you, um, how are your written skills? How are your verbal skills? It is so much more than just your technical Techn uh, technical capability. It is far beyond that. It is who are you as a person? Are you somebody that can deal with, you know, hey, maybe things didn't go my way. And so like, uh, it happens. And you know, how are you gonna? How are you gonna do your job best in the case that you know, perhaps there's a disagreement on something, right? Yep. You know, just like those things of, of being, I've, I've thought a lot about this recently. It's like, you are not just like what your technical skills are. You are, you have to have more than that. If you want to really like have a great career and work at some of the coolest places with some of the coolest people. Yeah. You got to just work on that. Yep. Yeah. Soft skills are important, right? Uh, you've got to be able to 
Yeah, to function in a team environment, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it would probably be good for us to expand on that in a future episode, right? It might even be interesting to pull in somebody that's got, I don't know, I, I you know, I'm thinking like Lintner or somebody like that that's running a large team and talk yeah. about how they handle it. Because, um, I, mean, I mean, for me as a consultant, it's fairly easy because I step in and out of these organizations, right? I'm a team member, but it's for a short period of time. And this is a very defined set of things that I'm communicating with people about, um, as opposed to, hey, I'm running a team and we're supporting a larger organization and we have to navigate all these political minefields as far as this person's having a bad day or whatever, right? Right. Um, it could be, you know, it could be interesting to pull in, like even your boss again to talk about that, especially as yeah. you guys have grown and now you're, you've been acquired by a larger organization. Um, there's a lot of soft skills that go into it that we don't really talk about. And we don't talk about how to gain those skills, right? Like, Which is silly because yeah. think about like how we all started out. And I don't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. That's no, no, you're my fine. horrible soft yeah. skills. But what I was but like on way on the point of what you're saying, what I wanted to contribute to that was that like we start out with this technical skill set and we start out as whatever, like hackers, really. And then over time, you're expected to sort of as you become more senior, you're supposed to have, like you said, better soft skills, but also have some ability to like you see how this all the time where like, oh, you're pretty technical. Oh, you've been doing this technical job for a long time. Look, uh, I think you should be a manager. And like, yeah, wh where's the training for that? Because that is a whole other skill set. That is a whole leadership is an entirely, believe me, I've seen, and you have too, some pretty terrible leaders, but they got there because they were really good at technical. They, they like just had really good technical skills and they've been doing it for a long time. And then now all of a sudden they're in this leadership, leadership position with no real uh, training, with real no, really no like, uh, you know, sort of step back and say like, are you even prepared for this? So yeah. anyways, sorry. It just, it made me think about this because I've actually had this thought before. It was like, why do we do that? Why do we assume because you've been so technical for say eight years, they like all of a sudden you should be a manager. Like it doesn't make any sense when you think about it. It's like, oh, you're really good at being a mechanic. So like, I'm sure you'd be a great general manager. No, like that is not the same person. It's not the same skill set. You can't yeah. make that. And I'm not saying you can't do that, but I am saying like, it's a pretty crazy assumption to assume that. I don't know. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. Say. And like, and maybe that's, that, that sounds like a good discussion for us for next week. Right. Like we'll pull up some articles and things like that and talk about how to build those skills. Um, and ex our experience over the course of our careers, because I, I like, it's pretty interesting how it's like, you know, after being in an organization, you get pushed into management after, you know, a couple of years because they see you as someone that can do the technical side of things, right? Exactly what you're saying. But I know there's organizations where they have a technical track that they don't have to manage and they become like, you know, kind of principal technologists for companies. And anyway, we, but yeah, we let's, let's talk through that because it's an interesting, interesting problem that we have. And it also ties into imposter syndrome and some of the other things that we have, like I know I specifically have, and you have, we've discussed it before. So yeah. Anyway, a rambling episode today from us, right? All over the place from bug bounties to testing, to soft skills, uh, <laughs> to yeah, all the things, but um, any final words before we call this one, Ken? No, just as always, enjoy talking to you as a yeah. person. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, no, I mean, like, I appreciate anyone who uh, listens and yeah, catch I us online. <laughs> um, but feel free to, you know, kick over any articles or things like that that you have on soft skills if you're in our Slack channel or join our Slack channel. Um, and yeah, we'll see everybody next week. Uh, thanks for listening today. And yeah, appreciate it. Later. <laughs>